You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Malchunas. Eric, we took a field trip to Pennsylvania recently, you know, your home state. Yeah, not really that far a field trip for me. I live in Philly, so it was almost like so a home game. I took I took That's the field right. trip. Early train out of Penn Station. Although anytime you go on the Schuylkill, it is an adventure. What's the um, Schuylkill? It's that road uh, 76 that goes from Philly right. out to Valley like Forge. worst traffic in the country. Second worst highway after the one in L.A. Uh, in the country. Yeah, I, I think it should be renamed the Daykill. So we, we did that because at the end, other end of that journey is a living legend at Vanguard named Jack Bogle. That's right. And the reason we went to see him, not only are we trying to interview you know, uh, experts in the industry now and then, but in this case, we were interviewing him for a special series we have coming out called Trillions Presents, which is sort of like a Ken Burns-style documentary on the story of the ETF, a six-part series. And Bogle is part of that story. So we wanted to interview him for this special series. And while we were interviewing him, it lasted about an hour and 10 minutes. We just exhausted were- him. He was so over us. He was. At the end, I could tell he just wanted us to leave. Like, go but, away. Yeah, yeah. But Amazing guy, though. Totally. And there were so many things that came out of his mouth that weren't exactly applicable to the story of the ETF, but were just little nuggets that I thought we should not just let sit on this file. Absolutely. Every word that was coming out of his mouth, you were just hanging on it because he is so astute still. I mean, he's right there. He is sharp. He's like the Ben Franklin of the financial world. He's got the, he's not only talking logic and he's built a you know second biggest asset manager but he's just little nuggets of wisdom just sort of come out. And I mean basically almost every American can basically chalk up their retirement to Jack Bogle. Yeah, even Buffett says this guy is the one they should build statue. Of. He he will definitely make the history book. So it's literally a legend. But beyond Bogle's place in history, he's also sitting there in the Bogle Research Center. So what he does is similar to what I do. And he studies funds. So he's got a lot of good opinions on what's going on right now. And right. that's part of what he was he the founder of Vanguard. And now they've kind of moved in it into this other capacity where he's more of an advisor. Yeah, he writes books and does research. So in a way, he and I have a very similar job and, and track the same stuff. That's generous. Yeah. <laughs> on this episode of Trillions, getting mutualized with Jack Bogle. Okay, why are we calling this getting mutualized? Because when we sat down with him, he was in the middle of writing his latest book, and he was going through a chapter he wrote over the weekend. We saw him on a Monday. And this latest book is an upcoming book. Yeah, it's not even out yet. So he was sharing what he was writing. So we kind of got a little bit of a he spent the weekend writing. Like, the whole weekend he said he wrote. Yeah, he said he naps a lot, which uh, is understandable, But and I like to nap. Sounds like a good life, right, nap, right, nap. (laughs) And one of the things that stuck out to me about what this chapter he was writing about Everybody thinks the industry is going to consolidate because everybody wants low cost products, and you know there's One just of not your favorite be... things to talk about, right? And so in the end, you know, going to see a lot of companies get together to get scale and go cheaper. 
he's gone beyond that. He thinks they're going to actually mutualize, which means they're going to— Yeah, what, what does that mean? That means that Vanguard is a mutual ownership structure. They're That's literally what makes it a mu- so different than anybody else. Absolutely, it means that that the fund investors are the shareholders. He thinks more and more companies will be forced to do this in order to compete. Radical, radical. Yeah, it, it it's like a Bernie Sanders moment. Totally. So let's play the clip. In my book, well, I am telling you, the world that in the coming era there will be mass mutualization of the large firms in the business. Firms will mutualize. There are a whole lot of reasons. One is there's a competitor out there that's eating their lunch, and they know perfectly well why he's eating their lunch. And so far, they have not wanted to, you know, get competitive again. They'd have to slash their fees, but they could never slash them enough to get down to where mutual can do. So he's not talking about ETFs there, right? He's talking it's bigger than that. Bigger than that. And this is obviously a little out of our normal purview here. Uh, but this is something that I've been focused on a lot. If everybody wants their funds for dirt cheap and Vanguard's taking in about two-thirds of all the money, and the reason Vanguard is is because they're so cheap and they've been lowering their fees for uh, 30, 40 years – What's going to happen to yeah. this industry? And he's basically saying this is what's going to happen. Right. And so, this, this, by so the this way, this is an industry level phenomenon. He answered this. The question that we first asked him that this was the answer of was why does he think other firms haven't done Vanguard's mutual ownership structure as opposed to being sort of a for profit company? And that was his answer was that well they haven't because they haven't had to, but now they they probably going to have to. Right. Radical. Very radical because it's a completely different way of operating, and that is going to mean a lot of lower revenues uh, for these companies. But he, what's crazy about what he says is when you think of consolidation, you think, okay, if you consolidate with three or four companies, get your assets to a couple trillion, you have so much in assets, you could lower your fees to Vanguardian levels. He's basically saying that's not going to be enough. Right. Wild. Jack Bogle has a way of delivering savagery but in a folksy manner. Yeah, and that like, was the classic you, Bogle. Yeah. Your, your juggler is on the ground. <laughs> yeah. But you're like, oh, it's, it sounded so grandfatherly. <laughs> he, we also asked him about what the timeline would be like for this, which he said didn't, he doesn't really think about it that way. It's just going to happen. It could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be two decades, but it will happen. He thinks it's an eventuality. Okay, next one. We buried the lead on this one. <laughs> yeah. So we did, we're on an ETF show here, so we had to ask about ETFs. Now, Bogle has famously not exactly been a fan of ETFs. The world knows where he stands on this one. He is yes. not a fan. His famous quote was that ETFs are like handing an arsonist a match. Except that we, he may have one-upped it with, in his interview with us. Yeah. All right, let's play this clip. Well, an ETF is just another form of index fund. Um, a sort of bastardized form, for the want of a better word. For want of a better word. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty blunt. Um, yeah, to the chase. That's how he feels. <laughs> but why does he feel that way? Here's why. The ETF was really designed, uh, and this goes back to our documentary, to increase volume on the Amex. It was created by people at an exchange who wanted to see volume. He who hates volume. Who would benefit from the volume. Totally. Right? And he hates volume. He thinks your holding period should be like 100 years. Right. So if it's e- a trading, this is a trading tool, conceived of as a trading tool. Yes. And he is not a trader. He's a long-term investor. And what I think hurts him is that he's he created the index fund or uh, made it into the big success it is. And this is sort of a mutation of it. 
So it kind of gets credit for the rise of passive, but in in no way is it passive investing. So he does think that it may have contaminated this. Well, it can be used for passive investing, and it can be. And we 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 challenged him with the fact that yes, some some ETFs are traded a lot by a lot of big investors, and that those volume figures can overshadow the people who are buying and holding. And and he admitted that there's no way to separate out the volume. And when you press Vogel on ETFs as being a fine vehicle, if you buy and hold, he will admit that. He just thinks not many people are. Yeah, he did concede it. Yeah. And let's play that clip. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, my statement about that may seem kind of cynical, but exchange-traded funds are fine just so long as you don't trade them. And that's not quite a true statement because you should stay with the classy ones, the broadly diversified ones, the total stock market, the S&P, total international, um, total bond, and or total balance is even easier. I only have to stay with one. So, yes, there's a place. So that's interesting. He actually does acknowledge that it's okay. You just have to ignore, you know, ETF. You just have to ignore the T. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I know from uh, I've studied the flows all the time. Like uh, it's my job, basically. And I can tell you, there, the low cost products from Vanguard and Schwab and some co- iShares Core, they definitely have lower turnover. They're used more by advisors for long term building block purposes and, and institutional investors who will hold those blocks for a long time. Yeah, long-term investors like the ETF for their low fees and their tax efficiency. So uh, they are, if used correctly, this is why I compare ETFs to Gremlins. Remember the Mogwai that was handed to that boy in the movie Gremlins? Cute little thing. As and long then, as you and then well, is he disobeyed the, the rules, three rules? Right? Yep. Yeah, and one of the rules, in my opinion, is don't overtrade. If you can just withstand the temptation of not trading, you can get so many, so much of the benefits of the ETF. And so he maybe acknowledges it's that uppercase E, lowercase T, uppercase F. I like that. And speaking of acronyms, Bogle's trying to introduce his own acronym for index funds. I, I think he might think that it's just sort of bland, so he's trying to come up with a little catchy acronym. So he so, calls them so TIFFs. So Jack Bogle's one up is TIFFs. TIFFs. What is TIFF? Traditional index fund. So he, and he, you'd, I'd never heard that before. Had you heard that before? I haven't. He's trying to push it. It you know, when you try to push a buzzword or not, it sometimes doesn't work. But anyway, he's trying his best. And here's him on TIFFs. TIFs are a phrase that will have to be used. And you see these comparisons as ETFs versus other mutual funds. And other mutual funds are probably 60% index funds. You know, we know overall that it's 43% of equity funds are index funds. But if you take the ETFs out and look at the rest of it, it's going to be 60% or 55% index funds. There's got to be a separation of those two things because they are as different as day and night. And you can argue that, indeed, that an ETF has far more characteristics of an actively managed fund than a, than a traditional index fund does. I mean, just think about that. So what he's getting at here is that, again, if you look at the holding periods for TIFFs, they tend to be really long-term, discipline-type investors. ETFs, that inclu- because it includes stuff like mutual funds. Yeah, and look, when we say... When people talk about like, oh, all the money is going from mutual funds to um, ETFs, that's not true because index mutual funds are mutual funds. Or when people say that all the money is going from active to passive, that's also not quite true because a lot of ETFs are being used very actively. So he's trying to say that a lot of the generalization of these trends is not really true because people tend to forget that index funds are mutual funds and truly passive. In other words, there's nuance. Yes. 
Um, another thing that I think is somewhat of a scoop in our interview, which I have never heard Bogle say, and I study a lot of his interviews, he talked about when Vanguard launched ETFs. He was not running the company, so it was a little bit out of his control that they did it. And he, uh, History says, or legend says, he wasn't very happy about it. So we asked him about it, and he kind of conceded he would have done the same thing if he were running the company. And I thought that really was him moving a notch closer to sort of coming to peace with the Vanguard ETFs. Which is maybe not surprising, considering how much of a dominant player they've become. I also think he sees that compared to some of the other ETFs, Vanguard ETFs are not traded as much. And I think he's come to more peace with that. So here he is. And I even, to be quite blunt about it, said, you know, I'd probably have done it too. Uh, But for me, compared to anybody else, it was a big stretch. Because looking back on my career, I made some really stupid judgments. And I think 100% of them was when I had a marketing hat on. Mm -hmm. And this is a marketing product. This is a product to bring in money. And uh, does it serve investors well? We don't really know that. It's a bit of a backhanded compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I love the gravel in his voice when he like concedes it and then is like, (laughs) It's tough. Uh, Look, it's baby steps for him, I think. You know, Bogle to me reminds me of the father whose daughter has married a guy he does not like. And it's sort of the slow process <laughs> of amazing. warming up to the uh, son-in-law. That's awesome. And look, It's like a really frustrating Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. <laughs> There's some life lessons in there, though. The marketing hat being a real one, which is if you're just selling, then probably it's not going to work out in your favor in the long run. Well, the case that was made at the time Vanguard launched ETFs was that ETFs will get us into brokerage channels. And Vanguard had never really been in that uh, business of trying to get its stuff into distribution channels. It just it was sort of build it and they will come. Right. And I think that's part of also why he didn't necessarily love it because it was part to market Vanguard, and he's never been about being overtly like into marketing. So, and you, so that was another reason. So, um, so in that's the, what he's saying. In the movie of Jack Bogle's life, are you saying Kevin Costner plays Jack Bogle? I would say Henry Fonda. He reminds me of Henry Fonda from On Golden Pond. That's that's the kind of vibe I get from him. I could see the Kevin Costner in the one, though, right? Come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I would be Ke- – well, look, if we did a biopic, Kevin Costner would be maybe like the middle years. The Bogle okay. we met now <laughs> is Henry Fonda. Then, okay, fair. And maybe fair. The Young would be, I don't know, um, Shia LaBeouf or something. <laughs> like- so another thing we asked about, and, and we've talked about this I think, on a past episode, which is in 2008, Vanguard never saw a month of outflows. Every month was inflows, even in October so, when... And just to make that perfectly clear, that's insane. It is insane. In the midst of the biggest financial crisis in the past you know, 20 years, and money only goes in. And remember, by October, everybody was already deathly afraid, and the market went down another 17% in that month. Vanguard took in money. Think, just think about that. So in these sell-offs that we've seen in the first quarter, in February, and... Uh, a couple times over the past uh, eight years, I've studied what happens in sell-offs. Vanguard takes in money. And so they take in money when it rains and when it's sunny. And so we asked about this sort of Navy SEALs level discipline of the Vanguard investor and why they're different. And that is if somebody brings you to a mutual fund, a salesman and so on, uh, he's going to want to move you when things go down. And I don't know, they say people get itchy and say, i got to get out. But I think an awful lot of brokers and advisors say, 
to protect themselves, you better get out now. So having that intermediary force is a, is a force that is a disruptive force against long-term holdings. So here again, he's saying that a lot of the reason other fund investors are not behaving well is because the intermediary needs to churn stuff to make it seem like they're doing their job, whereas the people who come directly to Vanguard are they're attracting already disciplined investors, first of all, and there's no intermediary. Many of whom you know, have gotten into investing through, through Bogle and his books. Too. What's ironic about all this is that a lot of the RAAs, the, the sort of new school fee-based advisors that love ETFs, they're saying their actual value add is to be, do behavioral coaching, and they do use Vanguard. So I do think that Vanguard does also attract intermediaries that are well-behaved and are into good behavior. Because again, if you don't behave well and you pull out uh, at the bottom and come back in on the top and all that, the cost savings of using an ETF over a mutual fund will get blown away by your behavior. So uh, what he's talking about here is a, a complicated layered issue and just really fascinating. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. What was, what was another thing that you thought he said that was surprising? Basically, how big some of these big companies can get, namely BlackRock and Vanguard. A lot of people are worried they're getting too big. They're the top two shareholders of about 86% of S&P 500 stocks. Yeah, so you it's just curious go to get through any, any stock any out there, stock. and they're, they're right at the top. You see BlackRock, Vanguard, or vice versa, and that's that. And so we asked them about like how big this and, will get. And there are legal limits to how big they can get. Yeah, but they're very liberal. He thinks they should be more conservative, which is interesting. So let's hear him uh, uh, talk about that. Uh, right now, for example, the best example I can give you out of the act, no mutual fund may own more than 10% of the voting stock of any one company. What would, what would happen if we said no mutual fund complex could own more than 10% of the voting stock of any one company? Vanguard's almost there. We're eight and a half. Uh, BlackRock is, I think, just a little bit behind us. It's not quite clear, but let me let me call them seven and a half or eight. And I don't think State Street will ever get there, uh, but they are at probably 4%. So basically, if, if things keep up, Vanguard could be, say, 25 30% owner of all the stocks in the country. And you and throw BlackRock in there. The rule now is 10% of a fund. So let's say the Vanguard total market fund, which I think owns about 3 or 4% of Apple, might be like 3%. If that hits 10%, uh, they could just create a total market too. And then it's, there is no limit effectively. What he's saying is, what if we make it the company, yep. which would put Vanguard close to that 10% limit. They're 8%, uh, BlackRock 7 and what he was also talking about was something you pressed him on a lot, which was this – in his book, he's writing about the new 40 Act, which he thinks should be – I love this idea, in. right? Like that – you know, this thing that's been the bedrock of mutual funds and ETFs was also introduced in 1940. And to his point, one of the things he said is that when you go back and look at it, most of it no longer applies at all. And a lot of it was for closed-end funds, funds, and they are uh, pretty much minimalized at this point. And – I think a lot of people would agree with that. I think a lot of people in the industry would disagree with his, his what he's thinking of doing, which is one creating these limits. The other thing I thought that he talked about was was interesting is he don't he doesn't think that any company that is publicly listed and has shareholders should also be fiduciary or vice versa, which 
is also if, radical. Unless I'm reading this wrong, it basically means that all these asset managers that trade on the exchange and have to serve shareholders uh, would have to just stop or delist or something because I think what he's saying is they're trying to serve two masters. You can make your shareholders happy with revenue, but that's sort of against making your investors happy with lower fees and whatnot and being fiduciary. He thinks those are two gods that are clashing, and I think he he's calling for a new 40 Act that would uh, eliminate that, which is, again, radical. Radical. Bernie Sanders type stuff. So he also threw a few grenades. You know, We've been throwing them at the, the industry, and then he went to an industry group, which is called the- ICI, or the Investment Company Institute, the biggest lobbying group of asset managers- and I, I guess he was uninvited or wasn't invited to and, speak. And this is, you know, he was a president once. Yeah, and Vanguard's a huge member. And uh, he, I think he was a little, had some hurt feelings about that, and he talks about it here. That's why, if you recently read, if you read the whole article, that the ICI doesn't want me to come down there and speak to him, which I thought was really weird. You know, here I am, the founder of the most successful company in the history of this industry, a former governor. A former attendant, I mean former, at the general membership meeting every year. And I understand why they don't like me, but I also don't understand with State Street and uh, BlackRock and Vanguard, why it isn't much more of a index fund-oriented institute. I mean, those three firms are pretty close to 40% of the industry's assets. And by the way, that article that he was referring to in that clip was a cover story in Barron's recently that you can check out too. But grenades, man. Well, look, I explained to him after this a second. I was basically trying to say, I think when you think about what's happening in the industry, people can get sensitive because while he's saying index funds should be a bigger part of it, the problem is what he's saying doesn't make people a lot of money and people have families to support. It can get a little sensitive for people. I've experienced this experience myself uh, on Twitter. I, I can step on toes when I go too pro-passive because I think people are like scared. And I think he taps into that. He He's the face of what of what they kind of know is happening and, and may not want to admit or fan the flames of. They, they might go, okay, it's happening, but let's not Let's not quicken it because uh, if it goes, if this whole move to low or no fee funds speeds up, uh, we we could have problems in terms of uh, people's jobs. So this has come up a couple times about how advice fits into all of this. But he had some really interesting things to say about the future of advice. Yeah. So um, we talk about ETFs are loved by advisors, especially fee-based advisors, and they love the cheap ones. And part of the reason they like it, they get to keep their own fees. So the advisor makes 1%, maybe it's around there. Robo-advisors came out at 25 basis points and sort of tried to shock the system, but hasn't made that much headway. Vanguard now has an advisory service, and they'll basically have a human advice for robo-fees. A lot of people I think this is going to disrupt the whole industry. So we asked them whether the advice business would needs disrupting or how that might change. That this industry will get more and more professional and less and less like a business. And I think what will come along with that is more and more professional ways of paying fees. So you might be paying fees on a visit basis by the hour. I don't know what it would be. But for an advisor, it seems to me that the flat percentage fee or even the tapered percentage fee is something that's not going to sustain itself. This is a big deal. This is basically saying that instead of your advisor getting a percent of your assets or a commission, 
they would get maybe an hourly rate or something more akin to a different type of business. And I, I've, I've seen flashes of this on Twitter and on blogs, which is where usually things start. And so he's right in tune with that in terms of talking about the changing uh, payment structure for advisors. What are the what are the ramifications of that? It's it, again, we're going back to possibly shrinking revenues for everybody because when you make a percentage of the assets of a portfolio and the stock market goes up, you kind of get paid just based on the market returns. And it's an, it's if you change to hourly, then it's sort of indifferent on how the market does. Um, this would definitely lower revenues. But some investors may want that. And again, advisors have roughly 20 to 25 trillion uh, under management in the US. So that's bigger than the mutual fund industry. So when you talk about the advisory business, it's a potentially a whole new area that sort of uh, might go through what the mutual fund industry is going through right now in terms of being disrupted. You know, it dawned on me while you're describing all this. There's an internet meme, the honey badger. I think Jack Bogle is the honey badger. The honey badger don't care. Totally. And that's why he's a great interview. Um, he all, Usually people who run their own company, especially ones that are retired and don't, you know, are kind of out of it in terms of not being in the game anymore, are the best interviews because they are just so blunt. He's and totally honest. And he's also, he reminds me of my grandfather a little bit who is deceased now, but he was World War II generation. And they have a way of talking that's just, it's, it's folksy, but it's blunt. And I think there's a lot of that there. And he also, it's interesting, there were some other parts of the interview that we're not going to get to now, but he's very, I could tell he's very satisfied getting to watch all this play out, you know, um, and see this industry change at the speed it's changing right now. I think he feels like he kind of won the fight. So if you get time with Jack Bogle, you can ask him about all the expected stuff, but then you have to throw him a couple curveballs too. So one of the ones we threw him was, what about Bitcoin? And will Vanguard ever get into that game? Here's what he said. This is a double entendre over my dead body. Yeah, not exactly a surprising answer. There. <laughs> was, that was uh, exactly what I was expecting. He'd say something like that. I don't think he has a Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, he. Um, I said, you know, is it all just nonsense to you? And he said, absolutely. So, look, I personally think that Bitcoin's resilience, when it should have died many times, gives me some faith. And I think that it's Bitcoin's um, really based on the uh, financial crisis and all these banks getting bailed out. And there's real spirit there. And I do think it's got some interesting technological benefits. So I'm not a, I'm not as bearish as he is, but I get where he's coming from. And I also kind of get the evangelist. So I'm more in the middle, but I wasn't shocked that, that he was on that side of the fence. And then we asked one of our favorite closing questions, which is, what's your favorite ETF ticker? Which he sort of stopped and looked at me and he, and he was like, who no, the? no. Then he looked at me to interpret. He, he goes, like, I can't believe. It was basically goes, like, I can't believe this this schmuck just asked me this question. Like, what is he? What is he asking me? <laughs> but we asked, and here's what he had to and say. He had a great answer. C R Z Y. Too funny. There, there is no ETF with that ticker. That's his way but, of saying. But you get how he feels about totally. all of this. And I want to just uh, sort of explore this for a second because. It's a funny answer. I mean, it's real wit there. and you Makes know. you think he's thought about this before. That's, he is sharp. Yes, but I don't think he has. I'm just saying that just came out, and I, I, I believe he's 88 years old. 89, I think. 89. And, I mean, he is sharp yeah, as Yeah, I hope hat. I'm that sharp Me when I'm 89. Me too, right. And look, he's still fired up. I, I personally, what I sometimes get from him is that uh, 
the key to longevity might being uh, might be you know just being fired up about stuff because he definitely still is fired up and uh, th- that that was a little bit of a dig on ETFs and I just think it's, it's perfect. Yeah, it really I think embodies uh, what it's like to interview. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. Big thanks to Vanguard and Jack Vogel for this episode. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.